0: Donald John Trump, the voice of one tweeting out in the wilderness as President Kofefe's critics continue to wind up with egg on their face and his own assertions keep asserting themselves in reality, it's time to ask, has anybody else noticed that Donald Trump has an eerie ability to predict the future, we will explain what that's all about. Then we will try to predict the future. In November in America, in Ireland, for the Catholic Church, a lot of predictions going on. Prognostication will abound. Finally, some very good news on the culture front. We'll get into that later. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. We have got so much to get to today. We've got we're going to talk about President Nostradonald and his bizarre ability to predict the future. It is actually pretty eerie, but I think I have a I have a theory on why that is the case. We will watch clips going all the way back to the Comedy Central roast of Donald Trump back in 2011. Nobody plays these clips, but it, it's they're very, quite prescient actually. Before we do that, I know what you're wondering. How do I get such a lovely shape? How do I just get such smooth soft skin like a baby's bottom? Dollar Shave Club. Dollar Shave Club is so, so good. It is the best razor I've ever used. I love it. I can't stop talking about it. It delivers everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. I, I've, I've talked about these guys for a long time. Uh, Dollar Shave Club has everything you need to get ready in the bathroom. Uh, I, I, the razor, first of all, is, is fabulous, but they'll give you Dr. Carver's Shave Butter. And it's not like, you know, they have that foamy stuff that it's like too much, or they have that little gel that's like not for, you know, real burly men. The Dr. Carver's Shave Butter are so, so good. And they have, they have everything you need. Uh, they have shampoo, they have conditioner, body wash, tooth braced, hair gel, and they have that thing. It's really useful. It's very important. In Europe, they have something called a bidet. So when you're using the facilities and taking care of yourself, you know, everything gets clean. Well, what they offer is something called a One Wife Charlie's. I'll let you <laughs> envision what that is. Very effective. Uh, here is a great way to save a bunch, uh, uh, to try a bunch of Dollar Shape Club products right now and save a bunch of money. Don't say I never did nothing for you. I got my wedding coming up, I'm giving you a wedding present for just five bucks. You can get their daily essential starter set. It comes with the body cleanser, one wipe Charlie's, uh, the world famous shave butter and the best razor that they offer. The six blade executive. It's the best razor I've ever used. Uh, keep the blades coming for a few bucks more a month add in shampoo, toothpaste, anything else that you need in the bathroom. Don't have to worry about going down to the drugstore or what I usually do, letting the blades rust over for six months. And then I'm basically just using pure rust to shave my face. Don't be that guy. Let Dollar Shave Club make it easy. Check it all out. DollarShaveClub.com slash Covfefe. DollarShaveClub.com slash Kofefe. You know, predicting the future, it's been on my mind a lot recently. I'm about to head out to New York. I'm going to be there getting ready for my wedding. I've got my bachelor party coming up this weekend. So if you don't see me next week or any other time in the future, you know, I'm sorry. I had too much fun at my bachelor party. (laughs) Not a bad way to go out. But I'm thinking about the future a lot. And have you noticed this? I have actually noticed this over the past nine months. Donald Trump has this weird ability to predict the future, or at least it seems like he's predicting the future. And it's much more pronounced because all of his opponents have a total lack of ability to predict the future. In fact, all of their predictions do not come true. They make these totally oh, in, insane predictions. These, we're certain it's definitely going to happen. Trump can't win, 99% sure. None of this is gonna, and then none of them come true. And what Trump says, which we all say is crazy at the time, that seems to happen. Here's just a little reminder from uh, Nancy Pelosi
1: at this news conference and on the floor, you, Democrats talk about this bill often in very apocalyptic terms, but isn't really what's going on is that many people are getting a very modest tax cut and some people are getting a tax increase while a lot of this is also going to business, but
0: it's not the end of the world? No, it is the end of the world. This, care, the debate on health care, is life death. This is Armageddon. Uh, this is a very big deal. No, this is Armageddon. No, this is, no, let me just, it is the end of the world. I don't want (laughs) to. So that was Nancy Pelosi. And okay, so now we've lived through it. Because the trouble with predictions, this happens in political predictions and in sports predictions, is these guys that go on TV, Nancy Pelosi gets up there in front of the cameras, and they make their predictions, and then they don't come true. And then we keep listening to them for some reason. So we go, you know, Nancy Pelosi says, this is Armageddon, and yet we still Listen to her. We still believe her. We still give her the floor. And it isn't just Nancy Pelosi. Paul Krugman predicted that uh, the markets would plunge if Trump won the election. What how, He said the markets are going to plunge. What happened? Trump won the election. The markets rose. Why do we do? We even handle this in sports. In sports, they say this, is no, this could never happen. Then it happens and we keep listening to them the next day. There's a Bloomberg headline from 2016. The headline was Citigroup says, a Trump victory in November could cause a global recession. What happened? Not only was there not a global recession, but uh, the global economy rose. In fact, the IMF gave credit to Donald Trump for that uh, jump in the global economy. Okay, we still read Bloomberg though. We still listen to Citigroup. Politico predicted, quote, Wall Street is set up for a major crash if Donald Trump shocks the world on election day and wins the White House. Major crash, huh? Just didn't happen. And they weren't set up for a major crash because the markets rose. Mitt Romney, Mitt Rom- so it's not just these crazy lefties. It's Mitt Romney, who's at least nominally a Republican. I know he invented Obamacare and he spends most of his time criticizing the effective conservative Republican president, but you know, he's nominally at least a Republican. He said, Donald Trump's domestic policies would lead to recession. What's happened? We've, we've had one of the greatest bull market runs in history. That happened last year. Uh, n- none of the experts predicted it, but that's exactly what happened. Six trillion dollars worth of wealth created, particularly for the 55 million Americans with 401k plans, the the other 25 million Americans who have IRAs, 20 million who have company pensions, uh, stock ownership plans, and for virtually everybody else because of tax reform. So even if you're not among the many, many, many millions of people who have some stake in the market, first of all, you do because the you're in the economy, but also because of tax reform, everybody is uh, rising. The median uh, household uh, income rose uh, uh, pr- pretty significantly within the last year. That's the median household income uh, just reported very recently. We were told by Donald Trump's economists and by Donald Trump himself, we'll, we, we won't see 3% economic growth anymore. Those are the old days. Now we have the new normal. It can't happen. What happened under Donald Trump? We got we saw greater than 3% economic growth. And it isn't just on these election predictions. Donald Trump came out and said that MS-13, they're animals. That that awful gang that kills children and rapes people. Their their motto is something like kill rape control. So maybe there's some other permutation of those three, but that's their motto, right? They said, those guys are animals. And the left said, they're not animals, they're people. How dare you? They start defending MS-13. Not one week later. An MS-13 member named Animal is sentenced to 40 years in a federal prison for murdering a 15-year-old boy. This seems a little weird, doesn't it? You see, the the whole thing is about Animal, and then not a week later, the guy's name is Animal—that's his street name—and he goes to prison for 40 years. You saw this. Donald Trump was talking about. uh, during the campaign, the building the border wall and all those awful criminals coming over from the Mexican side of the the U.S. border. And they said, how do you couldn't, what are you talking about? There's no crime. There's no crime. And then the Katie Steinle incident erupted right after that. He seems to just be able to predict one step ahead, see exactly what's happening right in the future. Uh, In 2013, Donald Trump tweeted out, quote, uh, Wiener is gone. Spitzer is gone. Next will be lightweight attorney general, Eric Schneiderman. Is he a crook? He's worse than Spitzer or Wiener. So he tweets that. And I don't know, people say, what's Schneiderman? Who care What are we worried about Schneiderman? Just five years later, this happened a couple weeks ago. Eric Schneiderman was forced to resign within hours after allegations came out from multiple women that he uh, abused them sexually, in the throes of sex. He got drunk and was battering them and hitting them. This is a guy, he was a full-throated Me Too supporter, right? Nobody could have expected. Who could have predicted this wonderful feminist, this great Democrat politician in New York was actually beating women against their will when he got a little too drunk in New York? Who predicted it? Donald Trump did. How on earth does President Kofefe, the voice of one tweeting in the wilderness, how does he predict all of these things? Go back even further. Don't even worry about 2013. 1987, Donald Trump took out a full page ad in the New York Times. It said there's nothing wrong with America's foreign defense policy that a little backbone can't cure. Now, it seemed like he was taking a shot at the Reagan administration here. And you got to say, we did win the Cold War. So I don't know that's, if that is exactly the best way to read that. But the statement taken on its own is true. There's nothing wrong with, a little, with America's foreign policy that a little backbone can't cure. And, and we look around and we see that in action. He did this to Iran. He did this to Korea. And experts have lo- lost their minds. When he said to North Korea, Little Rocket Man is short and fat, and I've got a button on my desk with nuclear weapons, and mine works. When he said that, the experts lost their mind. They said, he's belligerent. He's bellicose. He's going to throw us into World War III. If he rips up the Iran deal, we're going to go into World War III. It's certain to happen. I have a PhD, and I wear a tie, and my glasses are horn-rimmed. You have to believe me. It's going to cause the end of the world. Here, you just see a little bit from what the mainstream media said when he did all of those things. Bob Corker screaming at the top of his lungs that we are at risk of World War III. The most important political news of the weekend and today also happens to be the most important news in the world, because it's about nothing less than
2: World War III. And this news doesn't come from some conspiracy theory website. This news comes from the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, Republican Senator Bob
0: Corker. Senator Corker shocked Washington yesterday by saying what virtually everyone in Washington was thinking, which is always, always the best way to shock Washington, by saying something that everyone is thinking, but not saying. I I can't, I don't even know where to begin with how wrong that is. But just to begin, just first, nobody in Washington has ever thought anything without saying it. The most dangerous place on planet earth is between Washington politicians and a TV camera. None of them are having these grand thoughts and not saying them. They're craven, they're crass, and they're publicity hounds. So that's to begin. Uh, most people in DC say things without thinking at all. That does happen. People will say things without thinking about them. They won't think things without saying them. But everybody's thinking this. Everybody's, th- look, everybody's saying it. That's, just take, Lawrence O'Donnell on his own points. Everybody's saying that we're going to have World War III. Everybody's thinking it. All of the smart people, all the people in ties who have really strong jaws and comb their hair the right way. And, that you know, they wear ties on camera. They're all, and they go on TV sometimes. They're all saying it, so it has to be true, except that they're all wrong. Except it turned out they're all wrong. We will get to even more of this in one second. Before that, though, this, is, this ties in beautifully, actually, because sometimes we need to get advice we need to get advice from people who actually know what they're talking about. Not people who pretend to know what they're talking about, people who actually know what they're talking about. When you're dealing with a real head scratcher, uh, having your go-to person on call is a no-brainer. This is especially true of business. That's why I've got to tell you about Software Advice, a new sponsor. The fact that they're a new sponsor is just enough that you should go help them out right now. Softwareadvice.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Go over there and they will help you out right now this is a a great opportunity, especially if you run a business, if you have a small business. Uh, When it comes to picking the right software for your business, Software Advice has done all of the research for you. Their team of advisors can point you in the right direction. You can start working more effectively right away. I've seen this. I've been involved in many small businesses. And when you get started, you think, oh, what? There's so many different software clients I can use. Should I do this or this? What's better about this? What should I do this? I've got to set up my team. I've got to get them working. I'm wasting time. Time is money. Okay. I'm going to spend two months researching this or that. No, forget it forget it. These guys make it so simple. Uh, They they make it uh, ready for you. You're going to save time. You're going to save money. Go to softwareadvice.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Answer a few short questions about your business. You'll be connected with an advisor to discuss the best software options for your needs. Talking to an advisor takes 10 minutes or less, whether you're a medical professional or a construction worker, or you're an HR pro or any other kind of business, uh, you you name it. Software advice will save you time and, and help you make a more informed decision end the software struggle today. Go to softwareadvice.com slash to get started. Get started right now. Softwareadvice.com slash Knowles. Talk to an advisor for free. It's my wedding. I keep giving things away. Softwareadvice.com slash Okay. So all those guys, those, unfortunately, those people didn't talk to software advice. They didn't talk to anybody who had good advice. <laughs> They just consulted their own empty brains, you know, their own they're just, just rattling around in their heads. So uh, they got that wrong. How about oh, let's pull it back forward to 2018? Uh, just this Russia investigation, all of the nonsense and the lies and the fake news and the bad predictions. How many times have you turned into the news? You've tuned in and they've said, "This is it for Trump. Now we got him. Now, now we got him. We Michael Flynn." had lunch. He had borscht for lunch. So now we got Trump. You know, Stormy Daniels, a porn star, a currently working porn star who has admitted to lying publicly in official documents and has been a Democrat operative for years and tried to run for the Senate as a Democrat and is is an acknowledged and admitted public liar. Stormy Daniels says something. They got Trump. They got him now. They've got him now. Uh, And then that they never have Trump. Do you notice that? They always say that we're going to get him and then it never happens, does it? And on all of this, it seems that Donald Trump has been right the whole time. Donald Trump has been right the whole time. Obama and his uh, bureaucratic crones have been caught lying multiple times. Donald Trump said that Barack Obama wiretapped his campaign. And I'd like to, okay, so he said, uh, we've been wiretapped. When he tweeted it, he used quotation marks, wiretapped. The importance of this is that it shows, as Donald Trump usually does when he speaks, he can speak using metonyms or synecdoche or many literary devices that perhaps he's unaware he's using. But he even used that phrase, because I don't think Donald Trump was alleging that Barack Obama personally went into Trump Tower and installed a little device on his actual telephone, right? Nobody thinks that that's what Donald Trump was saying. But all of the people who want to prove Trump wrong, even though Trump was right, they say, well, he didn't wiretap him. Said, right? Well, Donald Trump also said Obama did it. Is anyone, does anyone think Donald Trump actually alleged Barack Obama broke into Trump Tower? No. He's speaking metaphorically and using metonyms. And the Obama administration did surveil his campaign. They didn't just surveil some aides, although they did surveil aides, but they surveilled the head of his campaign, the the chairman of his campaign. This is what we heard when this came out. This is from the FBI. Quote, with respect to the president's tweets about alleged wiretapping directed at him by the prior administration, I have no information that supports those tweets, and we have looked carefully inside the FBI. The Department of Justice has asked me to share with you that the answer is the same for the Department of Justice and all its components. The department has no information that supports those tweets. That's what we heard, right? Except that's not true. We later learned that Barack Obama was directly surveilling, Barack Obama's administration was directly surveilling the Trump campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, and likely picked up the calls of the president himself. How about now? Because the the big story in the news is the deep state gunning for Trump. And what does this mean? Does this mean that there's some guy with a mustache twirling his mustache around sitting at the FBI, some regular agent who's doing his job and just trying to protect the country? Of course not. That's not what that means. But what it does mean is there is bureaucratic creep here. There is political creep. We know that Barack Obama weaponized the federal government and the bureaucracy to attack his political opponents. I'm a member of an organization that was the victim of this. So is it really so crazy to suggest that there was a White House influence on the FBI in these investigations? As a matter of fact, we know from the leaked Peter Strzok texts that the White House was running the investigation, right? That was one. Now, even if that's contradicted later, we we have that coming out that the White House is influencing these investigations. We went through the timeline a bit yesterday. The Wall Street Journal lays it out very well. The FBI claims that They didn't open up the probe into Donald Trump and Russia collusion or whatever until July 31st, 2016. Now that was the claim. And Donald Trump came out and he said, BS, I don't believe it. All the smart people said, you have to believe the FBI. Come on, you have to believe the FBI. You can't believe Donald Trump. He's a crazy guy. So then the New York Times reports on Friday, the FBI's top secret informant, Stephen Halper met with uh, Donald Trump aide Carter Page only after a July 31st launch of the probe. See, keeps the FBI's timeline. See, it keeps the Obama administration timeline. The Washington Post went further in their flacking. They said, nah, Halper and Page didn't meet until August 31st, until early September. They didn't know well into that probe. Now, Carter Page says something different. Carter Page says that he met with the FBI informant Halper in mid-July, early to mid-July. And we know this actually happened because it occurred at a very public symposium at Cambridge University in the UK. Page further says that he was invited to that symposium at the end of May, end of May or early June. Okay. Now I know that this is one reason, by the way, why people aren't talking about this uh, too extensively on the news is it's kind of hard to wrap your head around. There are so many moving parts. When you get into nefarious politics, that's what happens. But uh, Halper, the FBI informant, was a central figure in that symposium that Carter Page was invited to. The symposium was titled, 2016's Race to Change the World. Another central figure at that symposium was Sir Richard Dearlove, who spent four decades working for British intelligence MI6. He was the chief of MI6 from 1999 to 2004. So we've got an FBI informant who worked uh, in For the federal government and for the intelligence agencies for decades. We then have a British intelligence agent who'd worked for decades. That means that Dear Love, by the way, worked with Christopher Steele, who ran the Russia desk for MI6 and compiled the famous dossier that was funded by Hillary Clinton and by the Democrats. Whoa, that's a lot of coincidences. So they all just coincidentally, just hey, coincidentally, they all invited this Trump campaign aide to this symposium before the uh, the Russia probe allegedly began into Donald Trump. And it's just a coincidence, probably, right? It's just a, look, sometimes decades-long intelligence officers from multiple countries, sometimes they just invite members of political campaigns whom they're surveilling to, you know, to uh, academic conferences, who knows? And then coincidentally, two months later, they start surveilling them, right? That's just what happens. I don't know about that. Now, Does this mean for sure that uh, Barack Obama was sitting there saying, we're going to spy on Trump, we're going to kill him, we're going to kill him? No, doesn't mean that for sure. We don't want to jump the gun. We want to be serious here. Does it mean we should investigate? Yeah, I think we probably should investigate. I think that's probably a good idea. Because now the left is denying it. And Scott Adams summed it up perfectly. He had a great tweet on all of this. He tweeted out, quote, Four things to understand about Spygate. That's what they're calling it. Number one. There was no spy in the Trump campaign. Number 2. The spying that did not happen was totally justified. Number 3. It would be bad for national security to identify the spy who doesn't exist. Number 4. The spy's name is Stefan. <laughs> <laughs> that well, I don't know, some of those seem to sure? that that's basically the argument from the left now. It's uh, really hard to believe um we'll see where that investigation goes. I will just say though, all the people who go on TV with the ties and when with the sharp, you know, with my glasses, basically, they're just Rachel Maddow. They go on and they give the expert opinion. They've been wrong the whole time. Not only have they been wrong, we know that they've lied publicly. We know that they've lied on the record. We know that uh, people from the administration, the Obama administration have lied. Donald Trump has a pretty good track record here. I don't know. I don't know which side I'd, I'd lean toward if I were a gambling man, which I am, and I have the check from Ben to prove it. Uh, I don't know. I'd probably put my bets on President Kofefe. And this will get back. So we have to answer this question. How, why is it that Donald Trump, a gigantic reality TV star, casino real estate mogul, wins the presidency on his first try? How did that guy why is he a prophet? <laughs> why, how come that guy can predict the future, but all of the experts with PhDs can't predict the future? It all goes back. Well, it goes back further than this, but it certainly goes back to the 2011 Comedy Central roast of Donald Trump. This is sort of a long clip, but it's really important. And people haven't dug this one up in a while. This thing is so rich with clues as to why Trump has succeeded in politics. Here it is.
1: I speak of the atrocities that we as a nation must endure like the Jersey Shore a piece of advice my greasy friend you don't need to put all of that product in your hair you just don't look how great my hair looks and I don't use anything and it looks very good what's the difference between a wet raccoon and Donald J. Trump's hair? A wet raccoon doesn't have $7 billion in the bank. (laughs) Very funny. Okay, very funny. America is going through tough times, and we all need to laugh. True. I know that better days are ahead. If we believe in ourselves, and the way I believe in myself, and I really do believe in myself, (laughs) then come June, if I decide to run, you'll have the great pleasure of voting for the man that will easily go down as the greatest president in the history of the United States, me, Donald John Trump. God bless America, and good night.
0: There is so much there. There, This was not in uh, 2015 even. This was not before this recent run. This was in 2011. This is in because he was considering running in 2012. And I actually just remembered this. He said uh, in some interview, might have been as part of this roast. He said at the time, he said, you know, if I choose to run for president, I'm going to do a lot better. And all you people think I'm going to do. <laughs> and we all, you know, we all laughed at him at the time that thought president Donald Trump, that was a joke, right? It was a joke in movies. People joked about it, it as a punchline. And there's so much here. There's so much political skill. And that's, I think why he seems like he can predict the future. He, you know, He's having fun. He's joking around with the celebrities who are on the dais. There are a lot of celebrities on the dais. There's Snoop Dogg, uh, the, the family guy, guy, Seth MacFarlane, Lisa Lampanelli, a ton of people, the Jersey Shore guy, Mike, the situation. And he's up there and he's joking around and they're joking around with him because in those days it was okay to joke around with Donald Trump. It wasn't, you know, now you're not allowed to if you're a Hollywood celebrity. Now you have to pretend you hate him. But, you know, until five minutes ago, all of Hollywood, Love this guy. He was a king of Hollywood. So he goes out there. He had some good lines. He had a line about Snoop Dogg. He said Snoop Dogg is a, a do rags to riches story. Yeah, <laughs> a line about Lisa Lampanelli. She's a comedian who's the whole joke about her is that she's not the not the most svelte lass in the world. You know, she's not terribly thin, and so people make fat jokes about her. And he she loved it. She's laughing, clapping. You know, that was all nice. He's making jokes about uh, the other people, how they're basic cable hacks, you know, talentless people. And he's this big star also true in some ways about certain people up there. Uh, but what we see here is he jokes about himself easily. He jokes about, you know, people say that he can't joke about himself. Donald Trump can't take a joke. That isn't true at all. They, they say Donald Trump is a narcissist, you know, like, like Barack Obama's a narcissist. No way. No way. I mean, does Donald Trump have an ego? Uh, Yeah, Trump has an ego. (laughs) I I don't think anybody's denying that. But is he a narcissist? No. And here's the difference. An egotist, hard charging, puts his name on buildings, says his name a lot, gets it out there, pushes back, won't, you know, won't take the hits. He's going to go, he's going to punch, right? If he, if he takes a joke, he's going to give that joke right back. What the narcissist does is he takes it so personally. With Donald Trump, I don't think it's personal. I don't think he takes, I don't think he goes home and cries and he says, oh, he didn't like me. Or he gets really angry. He says, mm, I'm going to get him back. No, I don't think it's that at all. I think he has a great ability to uh, compartmentalize, to abstract himself from situations. And that's why he has some pretty cold thinking because it can't be both, right? He can't be coldly strategic and this angry narcissist. Barack Obama seems like a narcissist. I mean, he wrote two books about his favorite subject by the time he was in his twenties or something like that. Uh, or I think the second memoir came out in his thirties. That uh, there is a certain narcissism there. It's the difference, I suppose, is that Donald Trump writes his own press releases and Barack Obama believes his own press releases, and those are two different things. You can even see it. You see it in the way that Donald Trump talks. So he leans into the money thing. He's always talking about how much money he has, you know, the differences, the hair, the, the wet raccoon or whatever he says isn't worth $7 billion. But he pushes you past the sale when he talks. He says, if I run, you will have the pleasure of voting for the greatest president in the history of the United States. And what he does, this is another things Scott Adams has, has mentioned, though not on this particular point, just the category, Donald Trump pushes you past the sale. So instead of saying, I'm going to win the presidency. Okay. If he said that, you say, no, you won't. But he says, I will be, not only will I be the president, I will be the greatest president, not just in, in the recent years, I'll be the greatest president in the history of the country. Not only that, you will have the, you will have pleasure voting for me. It will be a pleasure to vote for me. And the reason you do this, it's the same reason Trump talks about the wall and he says Mexico is going to pay for the wall. He says it not because Mexico is going to pay for the wall. Who cares if Mexico pays for the wall? It's not that expensive. What he's doing is he's establishing in your mind that the wall will be built. The wall is going to be built, and so that's not up for debate. All that's up for debate is who's going to pay for it. I will be the president. That's not up for debate. All that's up for debate is will I be the greatest president in American history or just the greatest president in the last 20 years or something, right? That's what he's pushing. I will be the president. The only question is are you going to have pleasure voting for me or great pleasure voting for me, right? He, he, he does this. It's uh, really a strong tactic of his. And by the way, he did better at this roast than most of the other performers because he's funnier because he's more in the culture. The other guys were funny. I don't mean to denigrate them. I'm not, I don't want to be a hack here. They are funny people. Seth MacFarlane's a very funny guy. Snoop Dogg actually was pretty funny. Mike, the situation wasn't, you no, know, it's not his strong suit, But, uh, but a lot of them were funny, but Trump was better. Why? Because people relate to Trump. And because Trump knows people, he talks about this. He said, one of the secrets to my success is I really know people. I'm a people person. So I think here we have the answer to our question. Can Trump actually predict the future Is he plugged in to, you know, the cosmos and the natural order of the universe? I don't know about that. But why does it seem like he can predict the future? It's because he he can put his finger on the pulse of the culture. He knows people. He talks to people. He's not isolated. He doesn't live in a little bubble in DC. He doesn't just go to lunches at the Brookings Institution and talk about how sad it is that people don't hold their champagne glass in the right way anymore. It's why he's a good salesman. I mean, he's the greatest salesman in the modern era. He is all sales, right? He sells everything. He sold, his, he sold real estate he, and he made incredible deals on real estate in New York. Basically, by just tricking the media, by you know, when he, there's, it's great in that book I just read uh, by Conrad Black, Lord Conrad Black. Donald J. Trump, a president like no other. We had him on the show uh, this week, I guess, this week or last week. He talks about how when he put the Commodore deal together, he just did it by sheer tyranny of will. He knows people. He knew how the city would react to this. How the, st- the this company would react to this, how the media would react to this. And he just put it all together and he did it. He's totally in the culture so he can shape the culture. This is why Andrew Breitbart was right. If he's in the culture, if Donald Trump is in the culture, it means Donald Trump is in the present. Most people are living in the past. Most people are fighting the last war, especially in politics. People who are living in the past think people who are living in the present are seeing the future. Most people are fighting the Mitt Romney campaign. By the way, now people are fighting the, the 2016 race. They're trying to fight the 2016 race in 2020. 2020 is going to be different. And you're going to see this all over again. You're going to see it's going to look like w- w- Donald Trump's predicting the future again. And it's not because he's predicting the future. It's because he's living in the present. I've got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. We have a ton more to get to. You cannot miss it. Very important points. Look, I'm going to be gone for a week on my honeymoon. So I got to give you all the good Kofefe now. Otherwise, Ben is going to just depress everybody. And he's going to say like things aren't that great. He he doesn't snort nearly as much fe as I do. So you're going to want, you know, at least... At least you'll have a uh, uh, Clavin to say that everything is tickety-boo, but we got to get all that kofefe out right now. If you're on dailywire.com, thank you. You help us keep the lights on. You keep kofefe in my cup and I'm going to bring this cup to the beach on my honeymoon and I'm going to, I'll probably get arrested for that, but I need it. I, Cause you're not allowed to drink uh, open containers of kofefe on the beach. That's not allowed. It's against the law. You got to put it in the appropriate FDA approved vessel for leftist tears. So what do you get? It's $10 a month, $100 for an annual membership. You get me, you get the Andrew Klavan show, you get the Ben Shapiro show, you get to ask questions in the mailbag, ask questions in the conversation. You should get your questions in for this final, no, not final. I have one more before my wedding, but penultimate pre-wedding mailbag. I'm probably going to be asking you questions. That's what I really need. Uh, You will get this because none of that other stuff matters. This matters. The leftist tears tumbler, because every time Nostradonald predicts the future, (laughs) every time our great prophet, the one tweeting out in the wilderness predicts the future, the tears are going to flow and you're going to need this vessel. Go to dailywire.com. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. And I'm glad, I'm kind of glad we put this one behind the paywall because I have to criticize Bill Kristol. And I really like Bill Kristol personally. uh, Bill Kristol was a a professor of mine for a summer in DC. And I like him very much personally. He's a very nice guy. These tweets though, these, you know, I've held off long enough. These tweets, Bill Kristol tweeted the other day, he said, quote, one striking contrast between Reagan and Trump. Reagan's conservatism was a youthful movement in spirit and often in fact, fueled by hopefulness for the future. Trump's conservatism is a reactionary movement of older Americans fueled by anger and fear. You know, I've always been an old soul, I guess. I guess I've always been an old soul. Kanye West maybe is very old too. Maybe Candace Owens or Charlie Kirk. Are they all old? All, the, all of the YouTube people who are they all really old? Is that it? I don't think so. I, I don't think that's true at all. In fact, I think the oldest Trump supporter I know is Andrew Clavin, and he behaves like a younger man than I do. <laughs> you know? he, the, the latest I ever stay out when I go out at night is when I'm hanging out with Drew. The Trump movement is a youthful movement. It's energized and it's exuberant. Donald Trump won more millennials than John McCain or Mitt Romney. Uh, Donald Trump did just fine with the Utes. You know, I, I worry, I fear, without descending into psychobabble, that Bill Crystal might be projecting here. Angry, old, fearful. I don't know. Does that describe Kanye West or does that describe President Trump's detractors? Ronald Reagan's movement was youthful. That's absolutely true. Ronald Reagan's movement happened almost 40 years ago. Well, it really, it happened over 40 years ago because it began in the 60s and 70s. Now the Ronald Reagan movement is older. It's older. Now we need something new. Ronald Reagan solved the problems of his time. He did his part. He kept the faith. That's what he said. When he said farewell to Americans, he said, we did it. Let them say of us. We did it. We kept the faith. We did our part. We can't dig up the body of Ronald Reagan and have him become the head of the Republican party and the president again. You can't exhume poor Gipper. Gipper did a good job. Let him rest. Let him have his eternal reward. Now we're dealing with something new. We're dealing with something new and a reactionary movement of older Americans fueled by anger and fear oppose him. But that's, that's no legitimate reason. The, the remaining anti-Trump right is living in a fantasy world. One, because it barely exists anymore. Of all of the, the more prominent Trump critics on the right, we had, ben was one during the campaign, certainly. He was always the most reasonable about this. It kills me to be too complimentary toward the big boss on the show, but he was always the most reasonable. He, wore, he put that MAGA hat on the day that Trump nominated Gorsuch, right? He wore that MAGA hat. But even some of the holdouts, the people who, who still just really were constantly negative toward Trump, Jonah Goldberg uh, said the other day that he would vote for Donald Trump. That was pretty good. And look, there's news out today that I don't even want to tell you about, I actually, I've tried to avoid talking about this on the show because I don't want to jinx us. I don't want to jinx November. Bloomberg is reporting that the blue wave may be dissipating. The headline today is Democrats Prep for Battle, Not surfing a Blue Wave. Remember, though, all those really smart guys in suits with glasses on TV, and they go on TV, so you know you have to believe them? All those guys told us it was going to be a blue wave. De- Republicans were going to lose the House and the Senate, and, and Donald Trump was going to be kicked out of office. And what are we seeing now? We're seeing maybe there are some cracks. Now, I don't want to tell you, don't tell anybody. I know that only the most uh, you know, the, the fringiest, most extreme people of the vast right wing conspiracy tune in here. So I feel like I can tell you guys, but don't tell anybody else. Historically speaking, we should lose this election in November. The Republicans should lose the house, if not the Senate also. I don't know if that's what we see on the ground. I don't know if that's what we see on the culture because everything's getting better. Now, don't tell them that because conservatives have to go out for us to win it. So don't tell anybody, but I dare, I say I'm hopeful things are looking good right now. so you know that's not an excuse to uh, to go out and do battle in November. But things are looking so good. Even Glenn Beck, who was a big, he was a big anti-Trump, he was a Trump critic for a long time. I love Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck, this is such a beautiful day. He came around. Here's the video. Enjoy.
2: Here's why I'm predicting a 2020 win. When I saw yesterday, How the press was all reporting the same damn story that Donald Trump was calling MS-13 gang members, they left that out of the story, animals, and they were spinning it as if he was saying that about all immigrants, I'd had enough. I'd have enough. Media, if you can get me, Glenn Beck, to do this. There it is. And in case you're only listening to us on radio, I just donned a red Make America Great Again hat. (laughs) If you can drive me to the point to where I say, "Uh, you know what, I've had enough. I'll vote for him in 2020. Gladly I'll vote for him in 2020. And not really even on his record, which we'll talk about here in a second, is pretty damn amazing. Amazing.
0: Pretty damn amazing. Yes, that is. That video is pretty damn amazing. I love it. I love it because where is it? The anti-Trump right is basically just gone now. It's basically over, save for a few tweets. The remaining anti-Trump stuff on the right and and even largely on the left, it comes from fantasy. And this is the cultural side of things. We're going to have to get to this in the last five minutes here. A spell has been broken. The cultural hypnosis has cracked. To, to, to use the phrase of Kanye West, the consciousness has shifted. Here's an example, Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar is some popular musician, I take it. I'm using those words loosely. He invited a white fan on stage at one of his concerts. He asked her to sing his song. Then he decided to publicly shame her for singing the lyrics, which he wrote. Here's the clip. What's your
1: name? Delaney. Make some noise, with the man. and where we started at.
0: It's it is painful to watch because it was obviously a setup. I mean, it's just ridiculous. You see, she goes, she's having fun. She thinks she's still in it, right? And then she goes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't know. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. So disrespectful to his fans. He put the words in the song. It's like every third word in his songs. By the way, he won the Pulitzer Prize for literature. He won the Pulitzer Prize. I just that's that's what happened in recent years. That's what's happened to our culture. That's a sidebar. Uh, it's outrageous. It's ridiculous. You look up there and you, you just feel so bad for her. He invites her on stage. He says, sing the lyrics that I wrote. And then she sings the lyrics that he wrote. And then he calls her a racist, basically, and publicly shames her. It's so, so wrong. Even Whoopi Goldberg agrees on this, by the way. Whoopi Goldberg on The View. And I don't look to The View for wisdom. But Whoopi Goldberg on The View said, that's ridiculous. It was wrong for him to do it. He shouldn't have done it. And you know what? Most people agree with her and with that opinion. There there are two explanations that we could believe for why and how that woman sang the the N-word in this song. Here's one explanation. This, This is crazy. This is my conspiracy theory. That he wrote the lyrics and asked her to sing them. Okay, That's my crazy conspiracy theory. The other one is that she hates black people. It's got to be that, right? But nobody actually thinks that. Nobody thinks that this woman has animus for black people. And that's why he's getting that flack. You know, the, it's uh, really, uh, really ridiculous. We have so many, so little racial animus today that we have to invent it. We actually, can't, there's so little racial animus that we just have to make it up out of whole cloth. It's just a fantasy. This ties in with our theme of Trump predicting everything. Because the NFL has now banned kneeling for the flag and the national anthem. This was another one, you know, people were doing it and they they were they were banning the flag or they were kneeling for the flag and they were saying because racism is so awful in America, we're going to disrespect the American flag. So there was a lot to deal with there. There's a lie, I don't know if I agree with this or that or that, that's crazy, but you certainly wouldn't disrespect the flag which gives you the right to protest, which gives you the right to self-government. So NFL now has has banned kneeling for the flag. By the way, it was already banned in the game operations manual which existed long before this hullabaloo, the game operations manual for the NFL read, the national anthem must be played prior to every NFL game and all players must be on the sideline for the national anthem. During the national anthem, players on the field and bench area should stand at attention, face the flag, hold helmets in their left hand, refrain from talking. The home team should ensure the flag is in good condition. It should be pointed out to players and coaches. We continue to be judged by the public in this area of respect for the flag and our country. Failure to be on the field by the start of the anthem may result in discipline, such as fines, suspensions, and forfeiture of draft choice for violations of the above, including the first offense. It was announced today, teams will be fined by the league if players go on the field and kneel. Now, they're letting them stay in the locker room if they really want to, but if they go and kneel, they'll be fined by the league. This, is all, this isn't about the great patriotism of the NFL. I don't know that they care at all about the country. This is about money, and this is about reality, and Donald Trump knows a lot about both of those things <laughs> and brags about it a lot. You know, the, the kneeling thing started a couple of years ago. It really took off last year. What happened? The NFL ratings tanked. The 2017 audience was almost 10% down over the 2016 season. Trump brought the issue to a head. Why? Because he's Nostradonald or because he's living in the present. He sees what's happening in the culture. He was really strong on this issue. So now, in our last couple minutes here, I'm going to get to some predictions for the future that don't involve Trump or NFL players or Kendrick Lamar or Nancy Pelosi or any of that. Uh, these are predictions that we're seeing over in Ireland. They've been big news items. On Friday, Ireland is going to vote on a referendum to repeal the Eighth Amendment to ban abortion. Ireland is a strong Catholic country. It's got some of the strictest abortion laws in the world, and there's a vote now to possibly ban it. Now, by the way, if you want an abortion in Ireland, you just go to to England and you get one. And that's, that's what people do. But it's a strong Catholic country. This is being called the end of Catholicism in that country. The polls are too close to call. We're not really sure. There's been momentum on the side of pro-life. Hopefully, uh, pro-life will eke it out. But to call it the end of Catholicism is a little crazy. I was talking with our colleague here, Paul Cardinal Bois, about this earlier. Ireland rejected its strict Catholicism a few years ago when it voted to redefine marriage. To redefine marriage to include same-sex gay unions. And so... That's a question. Where is Ireland going? What is Ireland? Is it a Catholic country? Is it something new? This brings us to the Pope. The big headline this week is the Pope is okay with being gay or something. That was what the popular media were reporting because he told a victim of Chilean sexual abuse, Juan Carlos Cruz, that God loves him. This was reported by the media as the Pope says it's totally cool to do a lot of gay stuff now. Pope loves gay sex, basically was the headline. And it's a little more nuanced than that. They thought it was shocking that the Pope would tell a gay man that God loves him, as though this were breaking with Catholic tradition, as though previously the Catholic doctrine was God hates gay people. That has never never once been the Catholic dogma or doctrine at all. God loves you. God loves you. If If you have any sort of assortment of proclivities in your mind, God still loves you. You know, the, all, all man has fallen. Uh, people do many worse things than wink at the cute fella down the bar. <laughs> you know, there's a deception and fraud and all of this. God still loves you, still wants you to turn to him and do the right thing. The culture is very confused. And so where's the prediction come in? Where's the living in the present to seem like we're predicting the future? The Catholic Church will either hold true to its divine institution, to, it, to the Gospels, to the sacred tradition, or it would fade away. That's it. It won't, it won't become some sort of Protestant church and it won't, like so many mainline churches here, it won't say, okay, but now we're going to change this piece of 2000 year old doctrine. No, it'll defend its doctrine and its truth or it will disappear. Ireland will be Ireland. It will be Catholic Ireland, the land, you know, the, the beautiful old Ireland or Ireland will cease to exist and something new will happen. But Ireland will be Ireland or it will cease to exist. The cultural argument of of all of Trump's talk about globalism and nationalism, this is what that gets to. This is what it all is. Think of the Brexit. Britain will be Britain or there won't be a Britain. There There will just be a big blobby EU. Britain will be Britain or there won't be a Britain. Americans will salute our flag and defend our country or they won't have a country. We won't have a country. Trump said this on the trail. He said, we... Well, we, uh, we either have a country or we don't have a country. Irving Kristol said this in 93. Uh, C- Irving Kristol, Bill Kristol's father said, conservative thought is religion, nationalism, and economic growth. The foundations of civilization, religion, nationalism, and of course economic growth. It has to grow, it has to advance, or it'll wither away and die. The foundations of civilization are worth conserving. Those are the sure predictions. Those are the only sure. I'm not as good as Nostradonald. So I. Those, that's all I can predict for sure. We will defend our countries and our faiths, or we won't have any countries or faiths to defend. That's it. I'll leave it to the other prophets who tweet out in the wilderness to predict which one that will be. But it is up to us. And for that, I am hopeful. Okay. And I, you know, I got I'm thinking about the future a lot these days, folks. Send in your questions to the mailbag. We will be back tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you then. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Senia Villareal. Executive producer, Jeremy Bory, Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer, Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Jim Nickel. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018.